Good afternoon, everyone. Like Ike mentioned, uh, yes, I have been losing sleep. Thanks for the thumbs up, everyone there. Uh, I have been losing sleep. Um, I lose sleep over anything, really. Like, if, uh, if I go to a young adults conference, I had only four hours of sleep, so it's okay. It's no, not a big deal. If my, my car breaks down during the week, I lose sleep. Like, if I find out that I couldn't be getting sick, I lose sleep. If I find out I'm preaching, I lose sleep. And that all happened in one week, so um, <laughs> I lose a little bit of sleep, but Thank you, Ike, for your long, you and Helen, for your long uh, push pay. I was able to catch up a little bit on my sleep during that talk. Um, so there you go. And uh, good morning. My name is Jonathan Newfeld, and I'm an associate pastor here at Deer Run Church. And though I lose out on sleep, um, I get to work with youth and young adults, and they keep me young and refreshed, even though I'm not even old to begin with, but they keep me young. And uh, since... I get to work with people that are younger than me. Um, I get to play a lot of games, and I love games. Jason, are we good? Okay, we're good. Um, in the first service, I wasn't able to do this. I wanted to have a little game to kind of start things off. Um, the first service would have enjoyed it anyways. They wouldn't have liked it. So we're going to try it here, and it's very simple, so I'll explain the game. I'm going to have six photos on the screen, um, one at a time. So the first one will show a picture of something zoomed in like crazy, probably a little bit pixely. And then after, we'll show a picture of the picture, like, zoomed out and normal. So start us off, Jason, and you have to guess what it is. So that looks terrible. Actually, try to guess what that is. If you know me very well, you'll know what it is, but uh, it's probably too pixely to even see what it is. So Jason, real picture? It is a double chocolate donut. I love double chocolate donuts. All right, next photo, Jason. Wow, that's terrible quality. Perfect. Bucket of chicken? Close, very close. All right, uh, Jason, what is the photo? Coca-Cola, I love Coca-Cola. All right, and last photo, Jason, what could this be? A little bit easier. Jason, what is the photo? It is popcorn, I love popcorn, awesome. Thank you for participating in this game. It'll kind of keep you refreshed now. You're back and stop hearing that push pay stuff. Whew, ready to go, right Ike? So, um, <clears throat> today, uh, well, I love all those things and I probably enjoy donuts too much. But the reason why I showed those things zoomed in is because often we zoom in on things so much and we lose sight of the bigger picture. The bigger picture of the whole Bible, the whole New Testament. Um, so today we're going to kick off this series, like Ike said, in talking about the New Testament. And my tiny job is trying to sum up this whole book in 30 minutes. So not that I can do this, actually, and I can't even do any justice to this in 30 minutes, but I'm going to try to answer a couple questions. And we're going to put down the magnifying glass. We'll have plenty of time for that for the rest of the series, but we're going to try to answer just a couple questions in this sermon, just a couple things we're going to look at, and that is, um, why do we have this book? Like, who wrote this book? Why do we have it? Um, how is it different from the Old Testament, and how can we now relate it to our life today? How does this apply to our life today? So those are just a couple of the things we're going to try to look at and try to answer, but before we do, I will pray, and then we'll jump into it. So, God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be here to be speaking, Lord, and though this is a time of craziness and time of uncertainty, Lord, we know that you are the one that gives us answers. You are the one that guides us. You are the one that leads us, and we know that we can trust in you. Um, I know it doesn't seem easy. It doesn't seem like, um, yeah, yeah, we have the answers, Lord, but we know that it doesn't, it doesn't have to rely on us because you give us a strength. You give us our, our, our clarity, and we can, um, yeah, just find our faith and our trust in you, Lord, and I pray so much today that we can just take a break, forget about everything else in the world, Lord, and just focus on you. So, amen. And I'll be completely honest here. Um, growing up, I did not enjoy reading whatsoever, and even now at times I still have a hard time reading. So, like, through a Bible college, that's when I finally started to find 
reading to be fun, which sounds odd. I, I, I didn't like reading at all. And, but when I went to grade school and high school, and many of you are in school, so I always thought to myself, when am I ever going to use this stuff? And maybe you're asking the same question. When am I ever going to use this stuff? And to be completely honest, a lot of the stuff that I learned in grade school and high school, I don't really use today. Like, I tie my shoes often, so that's a good thing that I learned in, like, JK and stuff. I use math often, but some of the stuff I don't use. And it's, it's sad to say, but some stuff you don't. But when I study the Bible, when I look at this book and I apply it to my life, there's always something that I can take away. There's always something that is genuine and that relates to my life. And today we're going to be looking at this. And I wanted to start with two reasons, just two simple reasons why we should study this book, why this book is so important and why we should study this book. And to start off with the first one is God is present all throughout the New Testament and God's, word, God's words throughout the whole, are, and as God's words throughout the whole book. So Old Testament, New Testament, it's God's words. And by his own personal spiritual presence, God used various writers of long ago to observe events, record impressions, and convey truths. So this means that the New Testament is worth studying because it is God's word. That is point number one. This is God's word. In the bewildering world of change, um, political complexity, and uh, economical flux, and moral confusion, the Bible is something we can hold on to. In the midst of all this chaos, the Bible is something we can hold on to as truth. The second reason I want to bring us um, to why we should study this book, it kind of follows suit from the first one. And while scripture is divine origin, it's also personal. It is personal to me, it's personal to you, it's personal to everyone. This book is personal to everyone's life if they read it and apply it. And the direction that our whole life can take depends on whether we ignore or embrace it. And the New Testament is important personally because it is a means God uses to heal searching souls. And we all are at a point of search. A lot of us search at different times in our life. We're all at different questions. How do we go about different things? So we're searching for answers. We experience things that are unbearable, or our future might be uncertain, or even like our, our present right now is like unappealing. Like what, what is going to happen? And we have all these questions. And, and just to name a few, like who am I? Why am I alive? Does anyone love me? Um, what's the meaning of life? Another one is why is there so much evil, evil and suffering? Or what's going to happen to this planet? Or why do I do things that I know are wrong? All these are searching questions, and these questions the New Testament invites. It doesn't scare away from this, it invites these questions. And the New Testament is worth studying because it is what we may call a means of grace. To read it with the hunger of truth, it opens yourself to rich depths of challenge, of grace, of purity, of joy, and of mercy. It is a start down a path of profound, desirable, personal transformation. And it, is be- and, or it is to become part of the people of God with all the privileges and responsibility it entails. So when we read this book, it's not just we can read it and just put it down and that's it. Like, there's responsibility. There's responsibility to this book, what we read, how we apply it, how we share it. There's responsibility to this book. And it is to be prepared properly for the need of the, our, so we can lay a, a proper foundation and get a better understanding. And so for us, um, to build a better tomorrow, we need to lay a foundation, a better understanding of the New Testament than we currently possess. We need to be familiar with this book. We need to be able to understand what it is saying. And with that, if we intend on studying scripture and studying the New Testament, we need to understand some of the history behind this text, some of the hist- history behind this. So in order to do this justice, like I mentioned earlier, we would need to sit down for hours and hours and understand the history behind this book. What has all happened? What events have taken place? 
and how everything kind of compiles together. And we don't have time for that, so I'll just do like a quick overview of this and the history behind it and how God had prepared civilization for Christianity to flourish during those times. So the book of the New Testament was originally written to local congregations of believers to inform them of the life and, change, and, life and teachings of Christ. But, the, but these writings didn't come about suddenly. They weren't just, they all of, all of a sudden didn't appear. They were as a result of preparation, and that being by God. And there's collectively over 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament written in both Greek and Aramaic that have been compiled together as accurate proof of this historical event of Jesus Christ. And just to clarify, during this time, there wasn't the New Testament. They were, they were writing this. The only thing that they had was the Old Testament to go off. That's the only thing they had. That was the only relationship they knew was from, from the Old Testament. So now they're hearing this from, from the Holy Spirit. It is guiding them to write this. And the 27 books that make up the New Testament writings are ones that earned the recognition from early Christians of, to have been inspired by God and given to the church for teaching, repro- reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, and training in this. And with these 27 books, we have multiple authors. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Jude, who all contributed to writing the New Testament in a time frame of between 45 AD and 95 AD. And each one of these writings are unique in their own way and are written with a specific context in mind. And they form the New Testament canon. And the canon is a book in itself. It is is, um, a whole... Yeah, to understand that, it's, it's a whole process. But canon refers to a collection of sacred books accepted as genuine. So the canonization, or in other words, um, the process of picking books to go into the Bible is a process of recognizing which scripture is authentic and God-breathed. And to, ex- to the exclusion of all others, only the canonized books can be used with the full faith and confidence with a, of its authority, of its authoritative word of God. And while other books or other books and writings and epistles may elaborate on certain points of Scripture, they don't have the authority of Scripture, and nor are they equal to Scripture. And early in his ministry, Jesus chose a dozen men, the disciples, who would carry out his legacy after he ascended to heaven. And after his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit would come to them, sent by the Father, to give them insight. And Jesus speaks of this in the Gospel of John. And John 14, 25-27 says, All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. So Jesus foretold of this Holy Spirit's provision into the disciples. And shortly after his death and resurrection, the Spirit ascended upon them, and they were empowered to arrive at authentic and unique authority of the accounts of the good news of Jesus Christ. So when you read through the Gospels and you read through this book, you understand that there are re- real people behind these books. You can, you can sense that it is different writing styles, different way that they elaborate on things. And to give an example, it'd be like us all going to the same events. Say we all go to the church picnic or to um, the family fun night. All of us go there, and we'd all come back and say, what did you experience? And we'd all share on different things. So that's what these disciples are doing. They're sharing on different things that happened, but they all add up to the same story of Jesus Christ. All the Gospels point to the same thing. And while the literary division of the New Testament doesn't follow a chronological scheme, they do, they do reflect on logical order in God's program. So first, the Gospels and Acts constitute the basic history necessary for proper 
understanding and, ap and appreciation of later works. So the life in Christ, of Christ and origin of the church is foundational. So the story of the founder is required, is required before one regards the superstructure that was compiled. And because of this, the church is built upon the foundation of apostles, prophets, and Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. And Ephesians 2, 19-22 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. And during the time of Jesus' birth and in his ministry, Rome was in power, and though it was like a wicked time, it was an oppressive time, um, it was during this time that um, the provision of God, that, um, sorry, that it was through the provision of God that the Romans prepared the world for the upcoming Christianity, Christianity to take numbers and to actually move. It was through the Romans that they were able to, to pave the way for them. So the Roman authority placed a large emphasis on law and order, which was backed up by superior military. And this might have been impossible, or it was impossible to have peace during this time. It was literally impossible um, during the reign of Caesar Augustus. And it was during this time that you see in Luke 2 that um, Joseph and Mary have to go through this whole census, pro census process, process um, and, uh, yeah, to have this, um, all this stuff filled out for the Romans. And secondly, the Roman revolution, revolutionized travel in this time. And the system of roads contributed greatly to the measures of ease for travel um, between um, the empires. And these roads were paved, they were drained, and they were well patrolled. Like, they were, they were great roads during this time. So it allowed for great travel for, for the Romans, but it also allowed for Christians to spread the gospel more efficiently. And these would have been the roads that Paul would have used to plant churches. He would have been back and forth preaching the gospel. And thirdly, and the third important factor was the degeneration of mortality and religion and the deep longing for redemption among the people. They had lost faith in the ancient gods and the state of religion was too formal and rigid to satisfy what their needs were. They were longing for a relationship. They were longing for community. They were longing for growth and redemption. And it was in the midst of all of this, Christianity came proclaiming salvation, forgiveness, and peace. Centered in a historical event of the life and death of, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity supplied the answer to men's spiritual needs and moral void. And I think in a time like this, we often get distracted. We often get like so unmotivated and um, just uncertain about things, but it's in these times of craziness, uncertainties, and oppression that, that Christianity thrives. Maybe other religions are, are, are growing and other nations are growing, or maybe we just don't know what, what's going to happen next, what's going to happen in this world. But it's in this craziness, in this uncertainty that we know that God will provide, and it's through this that time and time again, Christianity prevails. Christianity prevails through all this, through the, all the oppressiveness. And God uses the success of the Roman Empire to pave the way for the gospel to spread and change the lives all for all who heard. And the last thing we'll be looking at this afternoon um, is how the Old Testament is different from the New Testament, how it's different. And I'm not sure where everyone is in their faith, where they are with, with their walk with Jesus. Um, so what we're going to be talking about is how God's relationship is different from the New Testament with his people, and how God's relationship with us is different now with the New Testament. And um, so in the Old Testament, God had given people laws and instructions regarding holiness for their lives and ways to worship. 
And we see this all throughout the book of Leviticus. And maybe some of you um, started the Bible in a year plan, January 1st, and you're at the same point as, as I am. We just got through Leviticus, and it is a tough book to get through. It is rule after rule after rule, instruction after instruction, and you're just sitting there overwhelmed just reading this book. But imagine if you had to live out all of this. If you had to live out all these rules. And time and time again, as history has shown, when there's endless rules, people tend to break them. And in the Old Testament, when laws and instructions were broken, they were required to offer an offering, give an offering or offer a sacrifice. But the thing is, when someone sins and they're given the chance to make it right by giving an offering, it's just, here's my offering, and they go on with their ways. It doesn't address the heart. It doesn't address the heart issues. And it might sound, um, and it, it might address the behavioral momentarily, but not the heart. And the heart doesn't change, then neither will the actions. And to give an example of this, I'm going to need a participation from, from the audience again here, from the congregation. So, um, very simple questions. How many of you drive? I'm assuming a lot of hands here. Okay, many of you drive. Um, so, next question is, maybe you don't want to admit to this, but how many of you have kind of like a heavy foot, or maybe you tend to speed a little bit more than you should? Okay. Uh, thank you for your honesty. Um, Esther, I'm looking at you. Um, so, so now, how many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket? Okay. So now all of you have raised your hands. How many of you still speed after a speeding ticket? Okay. Um, that's a very easy, like, simple example to point out. Um, and a speeding ticket often won't, won't stop you from speeding. And I speed too, so I'm, I'm just as guilty. Just haven't gotten a ticket yet. So, um, but the consequence doesn't change the heart. It doesn't change the action of what is happening. And that's just an easy example. And likewise, in the Old Testament, we see one king after another doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the Israelites making mistake after mistake. But there was one king in particular that seemed to be ahead of his time. There's one, one king in particular that seemed to be a little bit different. Um, and he understood that God wanted more. God wanted more than just a sacrifice. God wanted a relationship with his creation. God wanted a change of heart. And we see this from King David in Psalm 51 verses 15 to 17, when he says, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. And I think David understood that God wanted more. And even though all he had was a broken heart, it's still that God wanted it. God focuses on the heart. And we might, we might hear this and think, like, didn't God know this all along? Like, with all these rules, didn't he know that it's hard to follow? Like, it's impossible to follow all these things? And yes, God knew this, but we had choice. God had given us choice, and he knew that we would fall short. And that is why the Old Testament is constantly pointing to the New Testament, constantly pointing to what Jesus will do in our lives, how the New Testament will prevail, and how it will... It will Fill out, it will fulfill the Old Testament. And Jesus will be that ultimate sacrifice in our place. It, he knew this all along. And just to kind of show how God foreshadowed this, in um, Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 to 34, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judea. I will not be like, it will not be like the covenant I made with, my, with their ancestors, when it took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. Though I, ha though I was a, a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to, to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. For the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God already knew this. And so it's no longer an outside-in lifestyle where our actions hopefully change the heart, but it's an, an inside-out lifestyle where we need to understand that change starts in the heart. Change starts in the heart, and it becomes the process of living out one's faith. And this is where the New Testament changes everything. The New Testament changes everything. And in Matthew chapter 4, we see the moment Jesus starts his ministry, and he begins to preach his first sermon. He begins to preach, and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven has come near. And it's not a coincidence that Jesus says the word repent when he starts this, this sermon. Like, yet, no one has heard from God for over 400 years. Since, since the prophet of Malachi, there's been no word or sign of God. So, in my mind, I'm thinking, like, 400 years without any any repercussions, anybody, like, kind of holding it over you, like, what, what do you need to do, or how do you need to change your life? So 400 years, and now people, he's saying, repent, repent, and yes, repent of your actions. But Jesus meant something else, I think. And if you look at the word repent, um, if you look at the direct translation in the Greek, it's translated to me tano, which means to repent of sins, like, the first reason, but also it means to change one's mind and change direction. Change one mind and change direction. And Jesus is telling his listeners, he would have been telling his disciples, the Pharisees, all who were listening, to change their mind and how they live out their faith. Because obviously that was not how God intended. It's not a matter of following rules. Jesus is saying it's a matter of changing your heart. It's a matter of accepting him. Your actions won't save you and they never could. Because we know that you cannot earn salvation. You can't earn this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from ourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works that no one can boast. No one can boast in this. Jesus is saying, repent of your old ways and those old laws. Change your, change your lifestyle. And like for us, change who we were before into the new. Repent of our old ways. Change our thinking and focus on how we can live out our faith. Focus on loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus flips the script. And I want to call the band up um, as we kind of wrap up this sermon um, I hope I did a little bit of justice with trying to summarize a little bit of this, this huge book. And just hear me out. I'm not saying that the, New Test- that the New Testament exists to abolish this and get rid of the Old Testament, but it came to fulfill it. It came to, fil- to fulfill what God had planned. And this is all part of God's plan from the beginning. Jesus speaks of this in Matthew 5 during his Sermon on the Mount, saying in verses 17 to 18, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come... I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have come to fulfill them. And what Jesus did in his ministry and what the New Testament does for us is it gives us an example of how not only to understand the heart behind God's covenant and desire for a relationship with creation, but it gives us an example of how to live at our faith now. And as, and as believers. And it gives us an understanding of how to have a personal relationship with Christ. And the more time we spend in this living, breathing word of God, the more the Holy Spirit is going to transform our hearts. And I like to close sermons with application and and kind of how do you apply this now to your life. Um, But I want to do something a little bit different and not an application, but more of just a reflection. 
because I think we all have experiences in our life where the gospel changes. So I just want to have us all reflect on one simple question, and the question is this. Who were you before you met Christ? Think about that. Think about your life, think about your past, think about yourself now. And we'll have a moment of just kind of silence, we'll hear the piano playing here. Who were you before you met Christ? Think about it. Because the message of Jesus has the power to change lives. And I believe that if you were here today, God is doing a work in your life. If I could uh, put my mic down here, we could have hours and hours of, cha- of, of sharing of how God has changed your life. We all have examples of who we were before and how this book has changed our life. How the gospel has changed our life. How we are a different person. We are a new creation in Christ. This, this book, this gospel, the good news of Jesus changes our life. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that we have answers for everything. But what we do have is a God who is willing to sacrifice his son so we can have a relationship with him. I'm talking forgiveness. I'm talking salvation. I'm talking grace for our sins. Jesus says, repent and turn from your old ways and focus on the new life in Christ. And if you just want one last tidbit of encouragement, um, at one o'clock after the service, we are having our baptism classes. And right now we have 18 people signed up for this. 18 people that are making a commitment in their life to pursue Christ, to pursue their faith, to, to change their life for the rest of their life. They're making this decision. And I don't know about you, but this gets me excited. As a church, we should be thrilled that we have the opportunity to walk alongside these people, to walk alongside these individuals as they make this step in their life. And in a couple weeks from now, we get to hear their story. We get to hear how this gospel, how the good news of Jesus has changed their life. And that is exciting. That is so exciting because the Word of God is alive today. The Holy Spirit is changing lives around the world. It's changing lives around Leamington, and it's changing lives around this church right now. The gospel is alive, and it is moving, and it is so exciting to be a part of this, to walk alongside individuals as they give their life to Christ. So I know we can't uh, give each other high fives and shake hands, but we can raise our hands today and and praise God because he is is good. So we're going to pray and then we'll wrap up and uh, yeah thank you for for our service today so lord thank you so much for this opportunity to be here lord we know it is, it is a time of uncertainty a time of um almost fear lord and, and how all this stuff kind of comes around us lord but in this moment i pray that we take a deep breath we look at the bigger picture of this because you are you're the answer Maybe you don't have the, the cure that we need right now for this, um, this, this vaccine that we're looking for, or whatever it may be, Lord, but we know that you are the answer to our salvation. You are the answer to something that is way more than just our life, Lord. You are our healer, our redeemer, our salvation, Lord, and we are so thankful that we have this relationship with you, Lord.